there. Okay. Okay, let's bow our heads. Loving Father, we are so grateful to You. As we uh, come together in this meeting tonight, uh, there's so much love, there's so much adoration. There, We truly care about one another. And we're so grateful for fellowship and friendship. We depend upon one another so much. And the bond that is between us, because of your Holy Spirit and the gift of Jesus Christ, it just it fills our hearts with joy. We lift up everyone tonight who may have something going on in their life that uh, we may not know about, but you know about it. And we just pray that whatever that need is, that that need will be met. And if it's healing, if it's uh, some kind of change and improvement, or whatever it is, Father, we just believe you for that heavenly touch. We pray your Holy Spirit to open our hearts tonight in our lesson as we rejoice in your word and give you the glory in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. All right, I promised to let you out by 10, so uh, we got that part done with. And uh, walking home. Um, When the famous, well-known agnostic Robert Ingersoll died, the printed funeral program left the solemn instructions. There will be no singing. Strange words, at least for those of us who attend faith-filled churches. There are others who do not feel like singing in the face of death. Running? Well, perhaps. Crying? Probably. But singing? Not at death. You know, death steals the reason to sing. Death takes the songs from their lips and leaves in their place a stilled tongue in tear-flooded cheeks. Jesus once went to a funeral. You know, at that funeral, there was no singing. There was mourning. There was weeping. There was wailing. But there was no singing. I mean, the house was more like a prison than it was a residence. People shuffled about aimlessly, their feet pasty white, their hands trembling, their eyes full moons of fear. And on their lips, there was no singing. There was no music. There was no laughter. Only the foreboding news that reminded them of their own fate. Another prisoner had been marched from death row to the gallows. Lazarus was dead. And they were in prison awaiting their turn I remember the day that I visited a home and that home was wearing the black wreath of death. The youngest of three daughters, a recently married 22-year-old, she had been killed in a collision between a bus and an 18-wheeler. 
reminded me of those three teenage girls that were just killed this past week up in the panhandle. But the eyes that met me at the door, well, they were those of a prisoner. The family, they were held hostage by the answerless questions. They had been taken captive by sadness. They couldn't take a dozen steps without walking into a brick wall of disbelief. It was enough to make you cry. It was enough to make God cry. Jesus' throat tightened as He walked among the inmates. He gazed at the chalky faces through watery eyes. How long would they listen to Satan's lie? How long would they be in bondage? What would He have to do to convince them? I mean, had He not proven it at Nain? And was not the raising of Jairus' daughter, was that not proof enough? How long would these people lock themselves into this man-made prison of fear? He had shown them the key to unlock the door. Why didn't they use it? Show me the tomb. They led him to the burial place of Lazarus. There it was. A cave. A cave with a huge stone laid across the entrance. Over the stone was spun the spider web of finality. Inscribed were the invisible words, No more. No more is what the stone boasted. No more shall these hands move. No longer shall this tongue speak. Not a chance these feet will walk again. No more. Jesus wept. He wept not for the dead. He wept for the living. He wept not for the one in the cave of death, but for those that were in the cave of fear. He wept for those, though they were alive, they were dead. He wept for those, though they were free, they were prisoners. They were held captive by their fear of death. Move the stone. The command was soft, but firm. And then the interference. But, but, but Jesus, don't you know? Jesus, it will stink. Move the stone and you will see God. Stones, mountains, boulders, they never stood in God's way. They didn't in Bethany 2,000 years ago, and they didn't in Europe 100 years ago. She was a Hanoverian countess. If she was known by anything, she was known for her disbelief in God and conviction that no one could call life from a tomb. Before her death, the Hanoverian countess, she left specific instructions that her tomb was to be sealed with a slab of granite. And then she asked that blocks of stone be placed around the tomb, and that the corners of the blocks be fastened together and attached to the granite slab by heavy iron clamps. The inscription 
on the granite stone reads, This burial place, purchased to all eternity, must never be opened. Well, all that any man could do to seal the tomb was done. The countess, well, she had ensured that her tomb would serve as a mockery to those who had a belief in the resurrection. Well, a small birch tree, well, it had other plans. The root had found its way between the slab and it grew deep into the ground. And over the years, it forced its way until the iron clamps popped loose and the granite lid was raised. The stone covering, well, it's now resting against the birch tree. The boastful epitaph permanently silenced by the work of a determined tree or a powerful God. Lazarus, come out! It only took one call. Lazarus heard his name. His eyes opened beneath the wrap. The cloth-covered hands raised. Knees lifted, back stretched, feet touched the ground, and a big yawn, and the dead man came out. Take the grave clothes off of him and let him go. Jesus saw people enslaved by the fear of a cheap power. He explained that the river of death was nothing to fear. The people wouldn't believe him. He touched a boy. He called him back to life. The followers, well, they're still unconvinced. He whispered life into the body of a girl. People, well, they were still cynical. He left a dead man spend four days in a grave. And then he called him out. Is that enough? Well, apparently not. For it's necessary for him to enter the river to submerge himself in the water of death before people would believe that death had been conquered. You know, Jesus was only a transient. He only went in to prove that He could come out. But after He did, He came out on the other side of this river. And it was time to sing. It was time to celebrate. And Jesus summed it up this way. He said unto me, Fear not, I am the first and I am the last. I'm he that liveth. I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Oh, and by the way, I have the keys. I have the keys to death, to the underworld, to hell, and to Hades. Revelation 1, 17 and 18. Death has been conquered. The birth of Jesus, His ministry, His miracles, His life, His death, His resurrection is why we celebrate Christmas. Let's bow our heads. Lord God, You teach us to fear not. I know that You don't want us to live in fear. Because fear does not come from You. You want us to trust You in all things. 
So Lord God, tonight, as we see things that are happening, happening around us in the world in which we live, we see things that make us afraid, at least afraid of what could happen to us and to those that are close to us. I ask tonight that your Holy Spirit would re reconfirm to us that your perfect love cast out all fear. We open our hearts to you. We ask for a fresh flow of your perfect love in us and help us to stay close to you so that we can always feel your love flowing through us and erasing all fear. Keep your people protected, especially during this holiday season and away from every threatening threat that may come. We know that the closer that we are to you, the farther fear is from us. In the wonderful, victorious name of Jesus, Amen. See, I can come up with a short lesson once in a while. <laughs>